Greetings, and welcome to Currents, a new podcast hosted through the Edmund W. Gordon Institute for Urban and Minority Education, more familiarly known as Yumi. This podcast is a result of hours of thinking and discussion about how Yumi would enter and contribute to this medium. The title Currents best captures the flow of ideas and the formation of knowledge, which often shifts and changes like currents in bodies of water. It also allows us to enter a discussion about current events, to have the benefit of scholarly knowledge and research without the lag time of publication. Finally, I would like Currents to connect scholars to their work and what inspires them. This podcast will provide a space where a network of scholars and stakeholders can share their views on current events, influences on their work, and the inspiration of their lives in the creation of knowledge. I'm Professor Callie Waite, an affiliate faculty member in UMI and a historian in the program in history and education here at Teachers College. I've described the work of historians as not only studying the past, but preserving the present for those who come behind us and hopefully shaping the future with our knowledge. With that in mind, historians are, quite simply, storytellers. I'm here to share the stories of our TC faculty beyond what their publications tell us. In this deeply fraught and complex time, where education and knowledge are critically important and often threatened, it is imperative that we hear how scholars are connected to their work and its relevance to our current challenges. Today, our guest is Dr. Brandon Velez, who is Associate Professor of Psychology and Education and the Director of Clinical Training for the Counseling Psychology PhD program. Welcome, Dr. Velez, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Wade. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Dr. Velez's full biography and selected list of publications is on our podcast webpage, accessible through the UMI website. For me, this is an absolute treat. I remember when Dr. Velez came to TC straight from graduate school, and although we aren't in the same department, I have been watching his career from afar and seeing it thrive. So this podcast gives me a chance to catch up with Dr. Velez, and I want to acknowledge his generous spirit in joining us on this adventure in our first season. So let's just jump right to it. Could you tell us a little about the work that you're currently doing and also letting us know what counseling psychology is and where most people work? Great questions. Uh, So my research has generally focused on um, the ways that um, different forms of discrimination Um, like uh, racism and sexism or heterosexism are related to the mental health um, or uh, career outcomes of minoritized populations. And with a particular focus on um, looking at the ways that um, multiple forms of discrimination work together in in shaping those outcomes. Uh, More recently, I've become more interested in exploring the uh, social justice training um, experiences uh, that counseling psychologists and psychologists more generally receive. So I I think the second part of your question was what what is counseling psychology, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, counseling psychology is uh, an applied um, specialty area of psychology. Um, So uh, people who get their PhD in counseling psychology can, um, uh, rather than um, just being researchers or academics, um, they can also be clinicians. 
Um, so I think when people think of uh, practicing psychologists, they usually think of clinical psychologists. And um, clinical psychology and counseling psychology are quite um, similar. The so And counseling psychologists have historically been very... Um, engaged with defining themselves relative to clinical psychologists. Uh, so there's just a, I mean, given your expertise in history, just the history of, of the discipline is, is kind of fascinating. Uh, but um, historically, counseling psychology has had a relatively um, greater emphasis on context and uh, the influence of, of context on well-being. Uh, and a bit more of an emphasis on um, uh, typical developmental concerns like, you know, career, um, career development, relationships, um, identity development, um, being more concerned with those, uh, those topics that most people are, are likely to encounter and need, you know, assistance with rather than severe psychopathology. And... I would say another emphasis is a more of um, a strength-based approach rather than like a deficit-based uh, approach. Can you explain a little bit more about the difference between a strength-based approach and a deficit-based approach? That's actually sort of interesting. A deficit-based approach, I think, is the one that people are probably most familiar with, with any sort of health um, care provider. Usually people... Um, seek out help when a problem emerges. And um, the emphasis of the interaction between the um, health, you know, healthcare professional and the client or the um, patient is one of focused on treating an illness, treating a, um, well, psychopathology. And with a strength-based approach, there is not as much of a focus on diagnosis, on the problem being something that is within the individual, um, more of a focus on it being a, you know, a temporary, um, a temporary problem of living and uh, more focus on, you know, what has, what coping strategies has this person used in the past that may be leveraged um, to help them uh, with any current concerns that they have, but also maybe um, in the future, taking more of a preventative perspective as well. That's really helpful in thinking about that idea of being um, sort of preventative or proactive as opposed to um, reactive and, and somehow um, sort of solving, if we ever, ever use that term, um, a problem. I want to pick up on something else that uh, you mentioned before, and that's this whole notion of um, a social justice uh, emphasis or stance in the program. And could you say a little bit more about what that means and the very difficult question, how are we defining social justice. I think this is especially important right now with everything that's kind of swirling around us, right? And whether these, uh, talking about these issues will even be legal <laughs> soon enough. Yeah. And I actually, there are some current events um, that have emerged since we last spoke that I think, um, you know, I can, I can touch upon. Um, 
social justice, uh, well, in in um, counseling psychology, in the late seventies into the eighties, there was the uh, multicultural competence movement, and at that point, um, this was related to, um, of course, the uh, civil rights movement and um, uh, feminist movements of you know decades before, influencing scholars of the time, really feeling like the body of knowledge that we had uh, in psychology um, was really actively excluding the perspectives of women and minoritized people. So then the emphasis was, well, what do clinicians, researchers, educators um, need to know to acknowledge human diversity and um, really provide um, competent care to um, the varied and you know beautiful diversity of, of the people we work with. So, and of course, you know my my colleague Daryl Wing Sue was um, a a founding figure of the multicultural competence movement. Um, but I think uh, many of those discussions. Um, and they, they were transformative discussions when it came to um, reconfiguring our professional organizations, like having divisions that were focused on um, women and uh, minoritized populations, having you know um, separate um, professional organizations outside of APA that focused on, on those populations. Um, but I think m- much of the multicultural um, competence movement in the beginning focused a lot on, you know, what was the typical work of psychologists, individual and, you know, small group uh, counseling or psychotherapy work. So uh, I think when you bring in multicultural competence into those contexts, a lot of the work looks like, um, you know, acknowledging clients' experiences of racism and sexism, building up their critical consciousness of how Um, those oppressive forces have shaped their life experiences and, you know, shaped their functioning, Um, you know, working towards um, motivating them to, um, you know, perhaps make change in their own lives, to advocate for themselves. I think with clinicians themselves, encouraging clinicians to reflect on their own biases so that they don't, you know, continue to expose clients to the biases that, you know, their clients are exposed to outside of the therapy room, in the therapy room. And all of those things are are tremendously helpful. Um, They're really important. And, you know, I think um, competent care is multiculturally competent care. Like, those are the same things. But, um, you know, I think about two decades ago, like in the early 2000s, there were some discussions among counseling psychologists of, well, you know, is what we've been doing enough? So it is acknowledging that racism and sexism exist and they, and all these other forms of oppression and that they affect clients. Um, is that really um, striking at the core issue? And I think that's where social justice comes in, not just acknowledging the presence of these structural societal issues, but more um, 
thinking about how can we change the underlying um, societal problems rather than just like dealing it at the individual level. How can we change societies or organizations or policy um, so that the clients that we work with in, you know, in counseling or psychotherapy aren't having these experiences to begin with? I don't, that was a very long answer. I don't know if it um, answered your question. I think that it got at a really important piece in thinking about the history and the evolution of the fact that counseling isn't static, right? I think that's the point is you're responding to what was happening um, in terms of multiculturalism at that time period. And now these notions of social justice and um, oppressive forms and acknowledging all of those things. I thought what was so interesting is not just acknowledging them for the client, but also for the clinician as well. But I want to um, really get at what you're doing, because you said something has happened recently um, since we last talked um, that really reflects our, our current, uh, that really is a current events issue. So if you could say more about that, that would be great. Well, you know, I am proud to say that psychologists have a long history of being involved in important social justice issues, like going back to Brown v. Board of Education. Um, you know, the, um, the Clark's um, testimony, their um, doll study, uh, was, um, you know, tremendously influential in, in that decision. Um, and psychologist research has been cited in um, Supreme, um, Supreme Court cases, you know, related on um, same-sex marriage, on um, uh, workplace uh, discrimination for uh, sexual minority and gender minority people. So, uh, th there is a, a long history of that. Um, the topic I was specifically mentioning with you was um, this literally just happened uh, yesterday. Uh, so um, for those, many of you may not know, but um, all are licensed psychologists uh, may, depending on which state they live in, have to do continuing education. There are, you know, there are, I would say most states require continuing education. There is a, a minority that don't. Uh, but yes, psychologists need to do continuing education in order to remain licensed. And in Kansas, there was a, um, a bill that was uh, su suggested and supported by um, a mental health organization, regulatory organization uh, in Kansas that... Um, called for uh, licensed psychologists in the state to receive, I believe it was three, three um, continuing education credits out of 50 per, um, per licensure period that focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the uh, Senate, um, the state Senate, decided to amend the bill to explicitly remove that requirement. And let me pull up on my phone the, the quote. One, Senator Mike Thompson um, 
said, I don't feel like this is an appropriate path and we shouldn't give credit for that sort of thing. Thompson said, I think they should stick to their lane and diversity, equity, and inclusion, I don't believe is helpful at all in this situation. And there was connections of the diversity, equity, and inclusion to critical race theory. So there is, I think, movement from <clears throat> sort of uh, policing critical race theory and um, K through 12 education to now continuing education of, of professionals. So, I mean, now just going onto my email account, all of the Division 17 or the Counseling Psychology um, uh, Division of APA is just like a flutter with responses. Like, what do we do about this? Like, what do we do at the state level? What do we do um, at the federal level um, in response to this like unprecedented like overreach by state government and dictating um, what would be best practices for the training of psychologists? That's actually, well, one, so incredibly timely. Um, the best, like such a great example when people are like, oh, you know, how does critical race theory affect me in any way? And, you know, the situation is everything is being determined to be critical race theory that mentions diversity or race or equity or anything like that. So um, I know when we have talked, one of the things you were discussing as the program director is how you... Um, create a social justice foundation through the curriculum of the counseling program. So now you have this really interesting dilemma, which you may be unprepared to answer, which is how do you use this example um, as a teaching tool? Or I guess I should say, will this example help you to bring more to the fore this very difficult to define notion of social justice made even more complicated by it being um, wanting to infuse it throughout the program. I'm asking a very long and difficult question, but sort of what is your reaction to this and how will it affect um, what you'll do in the program or how you all will shape the program at TC? Um, and I know I'm just getting your first thoughts on this, but um, I'm just curious to know. Yeah, I mean, those are all great questions. Um, I mean, and it, it's a complicated answer, I think, because of our like federal system that you know each state decides these rules uh, about um, licensure separately. So you know, there's some states where this type of legislation is like very unlikely to get a handhold. So. Um, you know, I, I think, so I just want to acknowledge like my geographical privilege, like living in New York, this isn't likely to happen here where, um, a state uh, legislator is going to, you know, say that we can't require, um, diversity oriented, um, continuing education. And I actually also want to acknowledge, I don't know what um, New York's requirements are, like off the top of my head, um, because New York actually just started requiring continuing education for psychologists relatively recently. So um, I should look into that. But so, 
In terms of like students in our program, I think this is the type of news that they should know about, like why we encourage them to be connected to these professional organizations so they can know about these types of developments that um, really shape our um, really shape our profession. Um, I think it is I often am a, a spectator on these email listservs. I don't often participate in the email chains, but I think it is tremendously motivating and energizing to see my colleagues like all up, all over the United States um, really like voicing their concerns and making really great suggestions about who to contact, both um, you know politicians, but also uh, policy makers like. Uh, like broadly who work in like nonprofits or uh, in the, at the state level, um, at the federal level, um, in our professional organizations, um, recommendations for who to contact about um, op-eds uh, to inform the public about um, this, about how really harmful um, this type of action is to the profession and then indirectly to the public. Um, yeah, and I think, in, you know, I teach a, a class called Multicultural Psychology and, and Counseling. And, you know, this is really great topics uh, to bring up. I think because our program is such, uh, the climate of it is so affirming of diversity, multiculturalism, and social justice. Like, we talk about it, like, all the time. Uh, and I think sometimes students can sort of take for granted that, you know, in other places, uh, that's really, you know, it, their experiences will be the same. But even just like going to clinical sites throughout the city, they're not necessarily going to encounter people who have the same sorts of attitudes towards clinical practice. Um, and, you know, I don't know how likely it is that our students will be moving to Kansas, but if they do move to Kansas, you know, that is the context in which they'll be practicing. Right. They may not have to go as far as Kansas to run into that, but I think one of the things that you brought up, which I just want to emphasize because I think it's really important, is thinking about this relationship between um, the American Psychological Association, the Professional Association, the APA, the state governments, the federal government, and these ideas of licensure. Because I don't think that everyone is aware that you have to be licensed with the state and that might be and, and that the practice will be different depending on which state you're in and that the licensure requirements will be different. So then it brings in this whole other issue of what role does the government play in this notion of um, sort of, for lack of a better term, clinical care in the way that you all are, are thinking about um, thinking about uh, administering it. So one of the things that you mentioned is this is going to be, it's always great when um, the national news can help you to shape your class discussions, right? Like now you got a few weeks of discussion coming on. But I'm curious to know as you're, um, you know, talking about these larger issues, how do you think that this will um, affect your work or, or um, redirect the type of um, research and writing um, that, that you do? Or will it, which it may not, because it's sort of thinking about what are you working on, what type of project are you working on right now, and will what's happening 
um, affect this. Certainly it will as you direct the program, as you try to infuse it with these notions of social justice, multiculturalism, diversity, equity, all of those issues. But um, what does this mean for you and, and your work? Well, I think like that, that bit of news certainly makes everything feel much more immediate. Like, you know, I, of course I've tracked um, the public debate about critical race theory, which, you know, is just all like dog whistle politics about, you know, white supremacy. It's just about white supremacy. Uh, and so like, I've, I've certainly been aware of that, but then, you know, when you see it relating to your profession, um, it, it strikes home in a different way. And, um, so I think I'm, it was something of concern for me, but now it's more, it just feels like a more immediate and present danger, uh, frankly. In terms of changing the work I do, you know, my I have this new and emerging um, area of interest in wanting just to know more about what social justice training, um, you know, counseling psychologists are receiving, what they think about the quality of that, and um, reflecting on, you know, what should that mean for our training moving forward. So psychologists... The graduate training of uh, applied psychology programs like clinical counseling in school, there's there's just a lot that people have to have to learn and have to master. They have to take coursework in foundational areas of, of psychology. They have to take coursework in assessment, um, theories of counseling, the history of the profession, um, uh, research methods, statistics. Um, consultation. It's just, there's just so much that um, our students in our program have to do. And, uh, you know, so my question then is, you know, are we able, as a, as a specialty area, we've said, you know, counseling psychologists are invested in social justice, but how are we actually doing that? Are, are, are we able to provide our students with um, coursework, with um, practica or uh, externships in which they are actually learning how to make uh, systemic or um, organizational change? I would say, just from my personal res- perspective, I think we're doing a great job at training people to be multiculturally competent um, therapists for uh, counseling or, or psychotherapy, but I don't know to what extent our students are leaving our programs feeling like, you know, they know how to influence public policy, that they feel well prepared to write an op-ed um, using the same sorts of skills that they're learning in their assessment class, for instance. That's a really interesting. It's um, a really interesting place to sort of take a pause and maybe come to an end because we've learned so much about how people are trained to be counseling psychologists, but also that your role goes beyond 
just dealing with individual clients. There are these, again, these issues of meeting a set of standards. And like many TC programs, it's already packed to the gills with requirements. So how do you either add more courses, which you don't necessarily want to do, but think about how you infuse the courses that you have with the messages that you're trying to get to put forth. But it's also an interesting idea of thinking about um, psychologists as policymakers and as op-ed writers. So it's more than just the relationship with a client, but a relationship with uh, that can have a tremendous amount of influence beyond just just the individuals. So. I mean, I learned a lot there, um, and thank you for that. Um, I wanted to thank you in overall for sharing your ideas and your thoughts um, about the profession, but also what you said is so key. When it happens in your profession, it becomes more immediate. And so really giving us this current issue, as New Yorkers, we can all feel shocked that anybody would would exclude these things because they are so much a part of our daily conversation. And it's almost this thing of, of, you know, we're sort of working on resolving the problem, but there are places where they don't think there is a problem whatsoever, as evidenced by, uh, by the quote that you read us um, from the Kansas State Senator. So thank you so much for your time again and for your knowledge. You've given us a lot to think about. Um, and also just really illuminated us on um, what counseling psychology is. So uh, thank you again. Thank you. I also want to thank all of those who are listening. And if you're curious about our next conversation, please visit the UMI webpage and subscribe. Our web address is tc.edu forward slash IUME. There you can find a full bio of Dr. Velez and a list of his selected publications. On our webpage, you can also find more information about each of our episodes, and you will see that our guests come from a wide range of fields. We are interested in knowledge across and through the disciplines, so I hope you'll join us and listen to each episode. Once again, this is Professor Callie Waite wishing you the best.